Hey, Rebel Risers, get ready for a completely different perspective on setting goals. In episode 131 of the podcast, I admitted that I don't like to set big, audacious, seemingly impossible goals because I hate to fail. Instead, I like to focus on who I am becoming. And this week, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Jen Gresham, who loves to set seemingly impossible goals, goals that are so big that you feel destined to fail. And she calls these goals a moonshot. We talk about what a moonshot is, why you should create one for yourself, and she gives us the inside scoop on how her own moonshot project is going. Spoiler alert, she's making it happen. A little bit about Jen. She has helped people around the world find greater fulfillment and financial success as a high-performance coach and business strategist. She founded Work for Humanity, which is her moonshot project, to help leverage technological advances in ways that can empower people to perform more valuable and meaningful work. So let's go to the moon. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Rebel Rising Podcast, where business owners, speakers, and entrepreneurs have real conversations about making the journey to becoming the next generation of thought leaders and influencers. This is the place to take a stand in your industry, get messy with your message, slay your mindset demons, and grow a profitable business that allows you to make a bigger impact while doing more good. Here's your host, the instigator of Three Word Rebellion, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Welcome back, Jen, to the Rebel Rising Podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad you're back with us. The last time you were here, we talked about money and money mindset and negotiating your fees and how to ask for huge sums of money. And now we're talking about something completely different, although still enormous. We're talking about creating moonshots. So to kick us off, why don't you tell us what a moonshot is? Yeah, I guess I should say when you said it like that, so I wanted to say it's not a drink. So don't try (laughs) to order this at your local bar. (laughs) Yes, you can't drink your moonshot, although your moonshot may cause you to drink some. Yes, yes. So a moonshot is uh, a near impossible goal that if achieved would produce enormous positive impact either for yourself or out in the world. Um, So it comes from John F. Kennedy's original moonshot, right, to put a man on the moon at the end of the decade. Um, And and so generally speaking, it just refers to anything that seems really hard you're going to need to galvanize people behind you to achieve it. You don't have to have your own governmental agency. You just need to be able to galvanize people with this um, compelling, difficult goal uh, with the end result being some positive impact out in the world. Wow. So it's like big goal, huge positive impact for the world and potentially for yourself. Right. That's right. Love it. So tell us about, I know you've been working on your own moonshot project for year and a half almost two years now almost two years so tell us about your moonshot 
Yeah. So, I mean, just a little bit of background about how I came into this. So I initially heard the term from Peter Diamandis. Um, So he is the guy who, I mean, talk about moonshots, right? So he is a guy who launched um, the SpaceX, not SpaceX, but you know, the, oh, Michelle, you know, I know this and you know this, Peter Diamandis. X-Prize. Yes, the X-Prize, not SpaceX, the X-Prize, right. yes. SpaceX ultimately came out of the original X-Prize, right? So the original X-Prize was to design a um, rocket that could take people up into space and return with them. And it had a number of other um, you know, criteria for, for what it would solve. But it was essentially Peter Diamandis wanted civilian space travel. He tried really hard to get a flight on NASA couldn't make it happen. He's like, fine, I'm just going to create my own prize and send people into space. And so, um, so he talked about this concept of moonshots, but when he was introducing this and sort of the programs that he runs, many of them were originally uh, aimed around growing a business, you know, that serves a billion people. Mm-hmm. Really awesome. But I was like, yeah, that just doesn't motivate me. Like I'm just, that's just not me. And I said, but what I am interested in is doing something that has an exponential impact out in the world. It may not necessarily impact a billion people, but it dramatically moves the needle on something that's important to me or to the world. And so I said to my coaching clients at the time, I've been a a coach, a career and business coach for the last seven and a half years. I said, hey, want to do a moonshot? And they were like, I guess. <laughs> and so it was totally unplanned, but basically I just started inserting moonshot ideas and coaching into the current client work that I had at the time. And the results were so extraordinary, like just blow your mind extraordinary. I was like, I have to have a moonshot. In fact, I made my husband get a moonshot too. I'm like, honey, we need moonshots. <laughs> Wow. What kind of results were they seeing? So my favorite one, and I have to be a little careful just to keep my client's identity um, anonymous, but basically this was someone who had been very successful in her career, um, but had stalled. And so she'd been passed over for a number of positions Mm -hmm. and she just came to me. She said, Jen, I can't get where I want to go just by working harder or doing what I'm doing. Like something has to change. I've tried everything. And so this whole idea of a moonshot. So we came up with her moonshot and it was basically to take the research that she was doing academically and apply it out into the real world. Cause basically her research was showing that the things that we were doing out in the real world, none of it worked. It was actually counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And so you know, in order to do that, you know, she's like, well, I would need a center and I would need a large amount of funding and I would need a set of multidisciplinary collaborators. And she's like, not that. So that was her moonshot was to basically create a center around her research and bring all of that together. And so when we came up with it, I said, well, how do you feel? And she said, well, that's amazing and impossible. Like, there's just no way that's going to happen. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, well, look, it's a five-year goal it's way out in the future, you know, don't worry about it. We're just going to work towards it. We had it done in nine months, the whole thing. Oh my, holy crap. That's impressive. Like that's amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. Right. But it, the thing about a moonshot is that it's so outrageous 
that it compels people to help you. And when I'm talking to clients about this, I always tell people, you'll know when you've got the right wording around your moonshot, when people say, hey, what do you do? And you tell them, and instead of just saying, that's cool, or uh-huh, they say, wow, how can I help you? How can I help you? That's the key. Oh, wow. I love that. Like, how can I help you? Because we were just talking right before this call about my troubled relationship with goal setting and how I don't like setting like huge impossible goals because I like to win. And (laughs) I gave an alternative. So like, yeah, how do you deal with the fear around this? Like for the people who are high achievers, high performers, they expect a lot from themselves. And now you're like, do this big impossible thing that makes them go like, like, what do we do? Yeah, so it's funny, right? It's very counterintuitive. And and you know, I'm a I like to say I'm a almost recovered overachiever. (laughs) (laughs) Not fully there. And so I struggled with the same sort of thing. But the thing about a moonshot is that it's so ridiculous that you don't really, it's nearly impossible. You don't really think you're going to do it, right? And no one, in fact, no one thinks you're really going to do it. And so it in some ways reduces the pressure because one, it's very long-term, right? You do not, if you ever do it, it's not going to happen this year. and if you never do it, like people will simply admire you for being so audacious. So it's kind of a win-win. If you do it, you're a freaking hero. And if you don't, you're just audacious and people admire you anyway. So it's like, what an awesome concept. I would love this. Oh, that makes sense on how to balance it. It's like, okay, reframe this as not like, win, lose. It's like, well, you, you tried it and you probably learned a whole lot along the way and gained a whole lot of respect because you went off after this big, huge thing. Right. And usually I recommend anyway, that your moonshot is something that's deeply meaningful to you. And so where I've gotten with my own moonshot, and I'll talk about that in a bit is um, I tell people, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to die trying. And I'm perfectly okay with either one of those outcomes. Like, this is so meaningful to me. I can't not do it. Mm, so meaningful to me that I cannot do it. I love that. Oh my gosh, Jen, that's so inspiring. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, as you probably know, I was. We talked about making tons of money right now. Yeah. Podcast. So I was at a place in my business where the the natural thing is just to keep ratcheting up how much money I make in my business. And I could have done that, you know, and I was sort of on that path of like, all right, I'll double my revenue next year or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I was like, that is so uninspiring to me. Like, it, I, I, it just didn't motivate me. And so um, I think that was the other piece. And, and what's ironic to all of this is that, you know, I've dramatically reduced my coaching, right? I only take, you know, maybe one or two, maybe three clients now. In fact, it's probably closer to one or two. And, and I can see at some point tapering that off altogether. Mm. Um, because I care about this moonshot so much. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I feel like we've teased everyone with, yes. what, with the moonshot. So tell us what your moonshot is, because I'm sure people are like, what is it? Yeah. So 
What I'm really interested in is how we leverage what's happening technologically. Um, and instead of seeing it as something like, oh my God, the robots are going to take all our jobs and humans are going to become useless, it's you know, how can technology and the advances that we're seeing enable us to transform work in a way that makes it something that is rewarding, not just financially, but cognitively and socially and emotionally and spiritually, right? How can we truly transform the human experience of work in a way that we would want to? And so, um, as you know, I, uh, I, I had no idea how to do that. I mean, it's not like, <laughs> that's a really big issue. And there's, there's like a, a thousand different solutions. And it, it wasn't clear to me at all where to kind of put my efforts. And so I convened um, a group of experts from business and tech and education and so on and said, hey, will you explore this with me? And, and these were fairly high-level people. We had um, the head of research from Google. We had the former deputy director from NASA. Um, you know, we had heads of different foundations that were involved. Um, and that was really exciting, right? And, and so what came out of that was to produce a vision for what we want the human experience of work to be. It's called Work for Humanity. And um, as far as I know, it is the first vision of its kind for this topic. And that seems extraordinary, right? Like that doesn't even seem possible. But we've been, I think everyone's been so frightened. We've been so focused on trying to predict the future instead of trying to create it. And so this is where the moonshot work kind of rolls right back in because what moonshots say is like, I don't have to worry about predicting the future if I know how to create it. But first I have to know what I want to create. And so this vision allows us to say like, here's what we want to create. Hey, who wants to create this crazy audacious vision with me? Because I can't do it alone. Yeah. So can you give us a little taste about what the vision of work would look like in the future? Because, I mean, I know, I mean, I have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who have a side hustle and they're in a job that they hate and there's so many people who hate their work and, oh my God, the robots are going to take over and so we need a minimum income for everyone in the United States and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, we're going to be totally bored. So there's like all of these issues around it. So what... Can you share a little bit of the vision that you ended up creating? Yeah, I mean, so, so we came up with seven elements, um, and I won't go through all of them in detail, but, you know, generally speaking, work should be enjoyable. And so, as, as you probably know from a historical context, um, you know, jobs are a relatively new invention. And so, I don't know what's going to happen with jobs and how we earn a living, but what we made the assumption was that work um, is part of the human experience, but it should be rewarding and enjoyable. Um, so it should have a positive connotation. It's something that people look forward to doing and um, you know, adds to their life rather than takes away. Um, the other big thing, and I'm, this is um, a little bit radical, is that I think human work should always be high value. Right now, we have humans doing relatively low value work because it needs to get done, right? And so we create a rather elaborate system to incentivize work 
that's boring, you know, that's meaningless, that's dangerous, right? All of those things. And so, you know, in my vision, humans only do high value work. And that means that we are going to need to automate all of that low value, low skill work that we're having humans perform today. People tend to get scared about that for a couple of reasons. One is that they can't imagine that people are capable of more, which I say is utter hogwash. Um, we are more alike than we are different, right? We all have the same anatomy. It all works relatively the same. People are highly resilient and capable. So one, I think, is starting with an assumption that people are far more capable than the system believes. They're far more capable than they believe. And two is that there's no shortage of high-value work to do. <clears throat> mm. And I think that's the other thing is that if you look at like, I don't know about you, but my to-do list runneth over, <laughs> right? There's yes. all sorts of things I would love to do, but I don't have time. You know, I simply don't have time. I, and I don't know anyone else who's like, yep, done for the day. I mean, unless right, you have a job that's just truly low value. So once you get up into higher value work, there's just a, an immense amount of work to be done. Mm -hmm. So I think those are the, the other two big things, and it's where technology will really enable us. Um, but two, you know, being an entrepreneur, um, I think work is going to be far more fluid and flexible than it is today, right? So people will have the ability to, to work when they want. That's, again, kind of a radical concept. You want to take a year off? Take a year off. Um, but you're doing such high-value work that you're getting paid enough that that becomes possible or you find a way to make that possible, right? Mm -hmm. And that goes along with the idea that work also becomes much more low risk. Right now, we have to make decisions on our careers based out of mitigating risk, right? Yes. I have to stay in this job because I don't have the financial security to allow me to, um, to, to change directions, you know, or go back to school or whatever. So finding a way to lower the risk, both for individuals and for organizations, I think will be really interesting. And again, I think technology will enable all of that. Um, yeah. And then I think the last piece is that work should be, um, work should contribute to the greater good. So, you know, right now there is not a lot of responsibility on either workers or organizations to think about the greater good. It's simply an economic transaction. And, um, you know, if I were designing this system from scratch, that's a big piece I would change. Yeah, because I had a job once where I was doing market research for Microsoft, and the whole study was just about making sure that the executives got their bonuses. Like, literally, we were doing some ad tracking, and it was just about making sure the ex executives got bonuses. And that was like the most meaningless work I have ever ever done in my entire life and because it wasn't impacting the greater good it was it was useless except for getting a bonus <laughs> it, yeah and, and it's astonishing how many people feel their work is meaningless and and it's worth saying that it's not necessarily that the work itself is always meaningless but it's meaningless to the person performing it yeah right and so having done a ton of career coaching over the years you know, I think most people right now don't feel they even have the ability to pursue work that they would find rewarding and enjoyable and meaningful 
if they even know what that is, because our whole system is not designed to do that. No, our whole system is designed to make you a cog in a machine. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it was designed for the Industrial Revolution, which is fine. It made sense at that time. But it, I don't think it makes sense anymore. And I think what's really exciting is that technology is going to enable us to um, move closer towards this vision than we've ever been before. Yes. So as you were come, developing this vision and going through this process of the moonshot and gathering people together to help you achieve this vision or develop this vision, what were some of like the big insights you had from doing this work? Big aha moments. I'm sure there are many. <laughs> Where do I begin? I, I think the, the first thing was, and you and I have talked about this before, this idea of uh, being willing to sit with the question. So um, for the benefit of the people listening, I'll, I'll just talk briefly about the distinction between complex and complicated problems. So um, complicated problems can be very difficult, but the system is generally understood and we all know what success looks like. So ironically, actually putting a man on the moon was a complicated problem. You can break it down into its component parts, right? We've got thrusters and we've got life support and you know, maybe we've got some trajectory work, whatever. Um, each of those can be solved relatively independently. And then they're all stitched back together and we produce something that puts a man on the moon. And when, when the man reaches the moon, we know we're done, right? Yes. Success. Bing! So in a complex problem, we often don't fully understand the system. It's often evolving over time, and we're not sure we agree on the rules of the system or what success looks like. <laughs> so it becomes very difficult, right? And so anytime we're talking about, like, you know, uh, transforming education or social justice reform, right, those are moving targets. And in fact, you never really reach success. You're just always trying to move towards it and to maintain the gains that you've already gotten. Mm -hmm. And so what I realized is, so my background is as a scientist. I was a, I have a PhD in science. I was a scientist for, oh God, 16 years. And what I realized is that I had been trained on complicated problems, not complex ones, right? That was really what I knew how to do well. And so in some ways I was like, wow, I am so ill-suited to do what I'm about to try and do. Um, and so that led me to uh, learn more about systems theory and complexity theory and um, to say, you know, it's, it's okay to sit with this problem and to really think about what are the root causes, you know, what are the different parts of the system and how do they impact and influence one another? What does collective success look like? Because oftentimes what we want to do is we want something easy, right? <laughs> yes. We see this in the news all the time for incredibly complex issues, for example, like climate change. Oh, just, you know, reduce carbon emissions off of industrial plants and whammo, right? Or we all go vegan. Those sound great, but there's this web of other things that um, come into solving these issues. Yeah. And, and so I think the biggest thing is just being willing to sit with that complexity and not knowing. I hate not knowing, so I don't want to um, paint that as fun, 
but it's necessary and it's okay. And just, you know, as a hint, in the future of work will require us to become much more adept at not knowing and being comfortable in not knowing and dealing with complexity. Yes, because that uncertainty often like provokes our anxiety and we think because I remember when you were first starting this project like people would be like oh yeah so how are you going to solve that and you're like no 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 <laughs> <laughs> just figure out what the problem is right like and there are many problems that's the whole point but how do I articulate this in a way and how do I and allowing that to um, then guide what it is that I do and so that's been one of the great things about this vision I could still go a number of different directions, but I'm, I'm working towards something rather than fleeing a vision of something that may or may not ever happen. Yes. You, well, it goes back to like, you're actually creating the future instead of just uh, letting it happen. Like it gives you, well, and in some ways it gives you that sense of control. Like I'm creating this and it's fluid and it might change, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, I know that I can basically roll with it. Yes. Yes. So rather than having certainty um, around, you know, I do this, if, if X and Y, right? If I do this, then this will happen. And that, that's kind of like best practices. It's, you know, doing what's been done before. Yes. In a moonshot, you get that sense, that feeling that certainty gives us in our normal day-to-day -day life from clarity. Clarity says, here's what I want to do. I have no idea how to do it. But I know generally what I'm trying to do and why it's important. And that clarity can provide that sort of warm, fuzzy feeling inside, even when you don't have certainty. Yes, because at least you know, well, where you're navigating to. You have this general vision. And one of the things that I've loved about knowing you, working with you, all of that is for me, um, now when I have a problem or there's something that I want different, I'm willing just to kind of put that outside of myself and be like, okay, so this is the issue I'm having. This is the problem. Let me get to know it, say hello, and like unpack it instead of being like, okay, what, what's the best solution here? Like, this is the problem. We have to solve it right away because I don't feel like we allow ourselves that time to be like, all right, let me explore the problem. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, even for things that are just complicated, right? Mm -hmm. They're still hard. Yeah. And you, you, don't, you don't put a man on the moon right away. And so either, whether you're dealing with complicated or complex problems, that willingness to unpack a problem and understand it at a deeper level, I think is something that we don't teach people mm -hmm. and therefore they're very uncomfortable. Oh, since this is a podcast all about speaking, you will love this. I just gave a keynote talk mm -hmm. on this topic. And for my opener, I came out and I did 30 seconds of silence. <laughs> that probably made everyone uncomfortable. So uncomfortable, right? And I could see people like turning their heads like, what's she doing? What's happening? Right? And in fact, I was so nervous about it. I told the organizer, I said, I just want you to know I'm going to do something a little edgy. Everything's fine. Like, don't panic. <laughs> and, and I said to people, you know, after the 30 seconds, I said, well, that was awkward, wasn't it? And I said, and that was just 30 seconds of silence, right? And, and we don't often appreciate how deeply uncomfortable and how quickly we get there when things aren't proceeding the way we think they should or the way they normally do. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, oh, it should be going this way, but it's not. And, uh, right. Trying all my expectations. Right. So, and, and you and I have talked about this in my view, and I've come to believe that moonshots are something everyone should do because it gives you the capacity to deal with uncertainty in a way that we've never learned before. Oh, that's so interesting. It gives you the capacity to deal with uncertainty in a way that you've never done before, which, which I really feel that is a skill that we need as speakers, business owners, parents, <laughs> like for our entire life is being able to have that relationship with uncertainty. Yes. It's coming for all of us, right? I mean, so the world is becoming increasingly complex, which means it's becoming increasingly uncertain. And, and most of us don't have any skill set to know how to deal with that. And so you're seeing even large successful organizations panic about that, right? The stability of companies is very low compared to historical levels. Um, it hasn't quite hit the workers yet. So there's these wonderful, right, cognitive dissonance. <laughs> I love it where people say, yes, I think that technology is going to completely transform the world of work and it's going to take over uh, much of human um, work in the workplace. Just not my job. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And, and so there's a cognitive dissonance. And, and again, as you know, I don't think necessarily that computers are going to take over all work. That's just, I don't think that's happening. But what I can say is that there's a huge amount of uncertainty that's coming, right? And that the world will continue to change and evolve at paces that will make us very uncomfortable. Yes, because, well, I even think about like the news these days where it's coming at us so fast and so furious that it feels like you never know what's going on and what's going to happen next. And there's just a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. So true, right? And so what is wonderful is to be able to step away from that and to sort of say, well, that's not my issue. <laughs> like, it's just going to keep coming, but I know what I'm trying to create. And yes. I am going to gather people together. And what's the big thing that I've noticed recently? I, I just, I know you're not supposed to do this, but I got into an argument on Facebook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. I just could not help myself. It was an, I'm, I'm very passionate about the environment as, as I think we all should be. Mm -hmm. And people were sort of saying, you know, that it was another link to another government report about how, you know, we're all going to die soon because, you know, the planet's going to explode or something like that. Yes. And I was so frustrated because I was just like, we stop talking about how bad it is and talk about what we want to do together. And they, they kind of were like, no, you know, you know, we need this because we, the people need to change or the companies and organizations need to change. And it was all pointing fingers. They're the problem. They need to change. And there's very little we can do about it, right? That was the whole um, sort of encapsulated belief mm -hmm. system. And, and one of the things I think is important about Moonshots is that it helps you see how powerful you are, Right with the right questions, with the right vision, you can compel great things to happen. And, and that's another good piece of this that I think is so important as the news keeps coming at us is like, you are not powerless. You have agency. You can create the future. You can create the future, <laughs> right? And it'd be hard and you'll have setbacks and you won't know what you're doing much of the time or if it will work and that's okay. 
Yes. So I have one final question, which I realize is probably a really large question, but for people who are listening to this conversation, they're like, oh my gosh, maybe I need to do some kind of moonshot project. How can people start finding their own moonshot idea? Yeah. So it begins with asking interesting questions. There's a wonderful book on this topic that I recommend. I'm like the evangelist for this book. It's called A More Beautiful Question by Warren Berger. And um, there's some wonderful examples in there. But, but the general idea and what I do with clients is I usually will say, you know, if you could solve one problem in the world, what would it be? Right? And you can noodle on that and you should come up with several different answers and, and play around with that. But if solving world problems isn't your thing, if you really want to do a moonshot for yourself, then the other question I ask people is to say, if I had a magic wand, turned out I'm actually your fairy godmother, I could make anything happen, only one thing, but anything you wanted, <laughs> right? What would, what would you want that to be? And then whatever your answer to that question is, ratchet it up several times. So imagine whatever your answer is that I laughed at you and I said, no, seriously, it's a magic wand. It's magic. <laughs> <laughs> because I actually have to do that to my clients all the time, right? Because we're so used to doing what we think we can do. We're mm -hmm. so used to doing what we already know how to do. And this is what you don't know how to do. So if you come up with something and I ask you, well, how would you do that? And you start to tell me, you don't have a moonshot yet. Yeah. So right? Have, yeah, yeah. Because the purpose of it is not knowing how to do it. So you sit with the problem and gather people and, and inspire other people to want to help. Right. So for example, my husband's moonshot, right? When we, he did not want to go out and save the world. We decided one world saver per household is enough. <laughs> that seems like a good rule. <laughs> and so he, um, he also was a scientist in, in the military with me for many, many years so right around the age of 46, he decided to become a singer-songwriter, and he had Zippo experience. He'd never sung a song. He'd never written a song, right? I think he could play one lick from Tube Snake Boogie on its guitar. I mean, it was like, <laughs> right, so that's where we started. And so he eventually got to the place where he had a few songs and was really getting into it. And so I asked him, you know, if I had the magic wand. And after several iterations, what we got to was, well, I'd like to do a sold-out show at the Moore Theater, which is here in Seattle. It's a pretty big venue. Mm -hmm, yeah. And, and for him, that's a moonshot, right? He doesn't get to start at age 25 and do what everybody else does in the music business. So, you know, the question that we kind of came up with was, what if a 48, well, you know, at this point now, he's 50, you know, what if a 50-year-old former scientist could change the world through music. And so um, that's led him in really interesting places and it's produced really interesting connections. And, and so he's making his way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's, it's just a different version of, and I wanted to talk about you know, these personal moonshots because they're yeah. equally valuable and meaningful. He doesn't know exactly how he's gonna get there. I mean. How does any 50-year-old sell out a show at the Moore Theater when you started from, you know, Tube Snake Boogie, uh, you know? <laughs> exactly. No one knows how to do that. 
and and so we're you know we're having a good time with it so you know he, he's evolved to where he's writing a lot of politically oriented songs oh. i thought it wouldn't be fun you know you could put yourself out there as a musician for politicians right you could kind of open rallies and things like that to kind of get the mood right uh and i think it'd be really cool will yeah. that work having the foggiest right but what's cool about a moonshot is that they're so ridiculous that you have to be innovative. You have to be creative. And so you try things out. Yeah. It's all a big experiment to see if it works. It is right. So really I'm still a scientist. I mean, that's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still bringing your whole self to this project. <laughs> I am. I'm just running human experiments. That's all. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it, Jen. I wanted to thank you so much for talking to us about moonshots and tell us where we can find you. Where, where, where are you hanging out these days? Yeah. The best place to find me is uh, workforhumanity.com. Um, so you can read a little bit more there. Uh, you can check out the vision that we created as a result of this effort. And um, yeah, shoot me an email. Love to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jen. This has been an amazing conversation for me, considering the podcast that's going to precede this one is all about like how I don't like setting goals because I feel like a failure if I don't get them. <laughs> and hearing about the possibilities around setting a moonshot and doing something that is like so ridiculous that it takes the pressure off is such a great reframe. And I think it's going to be a really good reframe for other people too. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. And if you come up with a moonshot idea, I hope you'll share it with me. I absolutely love hearing how people apply these ideas and where they take them. Yes, I will. I will. Thank you, Jen. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Rising Podcast. If you enjoyed the show and find it valuable, please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you leave us a review, you help more people find the show. For more information on working with me on your three-word rebellion messaging or your keynote speech and speaker marketing, go to drmichellemazur.com. See you next time, Rebel Riser.